Now that should work. I, you know, losing my mind. What was I saying? Oh, so every, no one is the exception to being like a sinner. No one. And what's, what, what's Paul driving here? If you're a sinner, you need a savior. See, if you think that you're not, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not perfect, of course, but I'm not, I'm not as bad as, then you don't need who? You don't need Jesus. See what Paul's doing here? Let's keep going. Verse 10, now he's going to quote the Bible to prove this point. And the Bible in his day was what? The Old Testament. So now he's going to just quote the Old Testament profusely. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now let me just pause here again for just another second. That's why when you come to church on Sunday morning, right out of the chute after the invocation, after we ask God in the invocation to be present with us to bless us, that's what the invocation is, right out of the chute, we tell the truth about ourselves. And what is it? We are sinners in thought, word, and deed. And we flee to God for His refuge and mercy in His Son, Jesus Christ, and we ask Him to forgive us. Paul's doing the same thing here in Romans. Lutherans, Lutherans know this biblical stuff. Okay. I hope this is helpful for you. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. That is huge. Unbelievers don't seek God. What do they do? They run away from God. And they try to self-justify 24-7, 365. This is another huge biblical teaching. Unbelievers do not seek God, which then means they do not have a will to choose to become a believer. This is huge. How does one become a believer? We know this because it was our memory verse the last quarter in Sunday school. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Christ must be preached. And when Christ is preached as the Savior of sinners, that's when the Holy Spirit is rolling up his sleeves and he, 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 he converts an unbeliever into a believer. So my point is, is that when conversion is a miracle given to you by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Christ. Unbelievers don't sit down all by themselves, apart from the Word of God, and say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus today. It doesn't happen because they're constantly rebelling against God. So again, my point is, based upon what we're learning here in Romans, no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks God. Conversion then is a miracle. God does the work of conversion through the preaching of Christ. That is why Jesus made sure in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching. That's why he said in Luke 24, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he said in Mark 16, preach the gospel to all creation. Okay. Is this making sense? I hope this is. And if it bothers you, good, because you need to be, if you believe that you, an unbeliever, you can make a choice to believe in Jesus, you need to be repented of that. Yes? Brilliantly put. And so Paul will make this point in Romans when we get to chapter 5. And thank you, Aubrey, for the marker. She's not here, but I did say thank you. She saved me. New markers. Woo -hoo. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. That's an important point. Here's the point Mike's making, and he puts it brilliantly, and it's what Paul teaches in, in Romans in, ch in chapter 5. In Adam, unrighteous, sinner. In Christ, who's Adam 2.0, remember? He's the second last Adam, does God's will perfectly for us and for our salvation. Righteous. This is the biblical teaching all throughout Scripture. In Adam, sinners, rebellious, unbeliever. In Christ, righteous. So our righteousness is never our own. It's whose? Christ, that he says, here, I give it to you. It's my gift. So when God the Father sees you, he sees my righteousness. He says, come on in. Come on in. You're mine. You're my child. See, if you go to, if, on Judgment Day, and Mike would agree with this, I'm just piggybacking on his brilliant point, is on Judgment Day, if you stand before God the Father and say, you know, I lived a pretty good life. You know, I didn't hurt very many people, and I, I made restitution, this kind of stuff, and I, I quit smoking, and I quit drinking whiskey a lot, you know, got my cholesterol down. So I should go to heaven. And God is going to say, I don't know who you are. Because you're trying to get to heaven based upon what you've done. Your righteousness. But the other hand would be, as we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and God the Father asks us, why should I let you into heaven? What's the answer? Jesus died for me. He rose for me. I'm a sinner. In Adam, I'm a nothing. But in Christ, your son, whom you gave to me, you say I'm saved. Father, and God will say, come on in. And Jesus will say, I know those people. Come on. Good. Anything else on that? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now again, he's quoting Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Ecclesiastes with these verses. Now, no one who does good, that's in Adam. As we are sinners in Adam, that's what he's talking about. Now later on, when he speaks about our being in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the things you do that are pleasing to God according to his word, God loves that. Their throats, verse 13, their throats are open graves. That's what mine feels like right now today. Their tongues practice deceit. He continues to quote the Old Testament here. Their, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. So he's quoted Psalm 5, he's quoted Psalm 140, and now he just quoted Psalm 10. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. He just quoted Isaiah 59. There is no fear of God before their eyes, Psalm 36. So Paul, in, he, he's a brilliant theologian because it isn't, this is my opinion, when he teaches that everyone's a sinner and that no one in Adam is, is unrighteous, no one is righteous before God, he knows this from the Bible. You all know it, Psalm 51, before you, O Lord, I have sinned, that kind of thing. Remember that? David said that. Let's keep going. Mm. I mean, just every lie, every cheat, every, everything we they can do, I mean, it sounds exactly what Scripture said they do. 
Yeah, and, and it isn't just Marxism. It's any, any philosophy that, that contradicts Christianity fits this bill. Everything. Just fill in the blank. Even, even parts of Christendom fits this because there are parts of Christianity that do not teach the biblical teaching on sin. Let me give an example. There are many Christians, well-intended and well-meaning, who teach that a person does not become a sinner until they actually commit a sin. And for some Christians, it's not until you're eight years old. So for eight years, they, these, these children don't sin. Uh, does the Bible teach that? Go to Psalm 51 in your Bible. I just quoted it earlier, but let's look at it. Psalm 51. And by the way, we just heard it from Paul. All are sinners. He didn't say, he didn't say, oh, no, I exclude eight, year, eight years and younger. No, everybody. There's no one accepted. But go to Psalm 51. I think it's verse 4 or 5. <clears throat> Verse 5, is it? So when did David become a sinner? I'm, I'm almost there. Let me catch up with you. Psalm 51, verse 5. Yeah, that's correct. King David wrote this, and King David, he knew what Moses wrote. He knew all the Old Testament that had come before him. And he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the very moment of my conception, which this is a side note. So when does life begin, by the way? conception. That's a side note. But you need to take note of these things because we now live in a world that says you don't become a human being. Well, you're only potentially a human being in the womb. And then the next question is, well, when do I become a human being? And then there's all kinds of disagreement, which then leads to, well, we can, we can take this life whenever because we can decide when a person's a human being. But we know from Scripture that a human being is from conception. And we know that when life begins at conception, you are a sinner. And you're saying, yeah, but the baby hasn't done anything yet. Doesn't matter. You inherit this disease called sin from Adam, which Paul's going to talk about more in Romans chapter 5. So here, back to my, my original point. Back to Romans again. So there are Christians, well-meaning, well-intended, who say, you don't, you're not a sinner until you commit a sin. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was studying at the seminary and I had pastor as counselor class, um, give it or take, you know, whatever that was worth. But one of the books we had to read was by a non-Lutheran theologian who his expertise was counseling. Now, his advice for pastors in dealing with people who have homosexual desires is to tell them they haven't sinned yet. They'll only sin when they act on it. That's simply not biblical. You know this from Matthew 5. Jesus says, you've heard of old that it was said, you should not commit adultery, right? And they're all going, yep, 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 that's right. I've never slept with anybody except my wife, so I've kept the commandment. Jesus, he takes the muzzle off the Doberman, and then he says, but I tell you that any man who looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Now, the point is, is that the sin takes place here before it's actually done. Cain and Abel, same thing. Cain had already committed murder here before he took a rock or a club or whatever it was they did before he killed Abel. There was a hand. Yes. Did you point that out? Yeah, oh, as a seminarian? Uh, no, we, we didn't. We knew better. We knew better than that. But I'm just giving that. As a, this is how the world thinks, that you don't sin until you actually do something. That's simply not true. So 9th and 10th commandments, you all know them, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. 
etc., etc. Where does coveting take place? What body part? Heart. I could be coveting right now and you don't know it. <laughs> and the coveting is, is, the, is, the, is not being content. You are not content with what God gives you. And therefore you want things that he says you can't have, like David with Bathsheba. On the other hand, you, you, you repent. And your sinful nature, that's correct. The world, the devil, are always attacking you, trying to tempt you into sin. So when you have these thoughts, you repent of them. And you say, devil, be gone. And then ask God to help you all the more. I do this all the time, all the time. I'm always praying. Well, you know what I'm trying to say. Many times during the day I'm praying, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought this. Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to do better and forgive me for Jesus' sake. This is how we deal with it. And so you pray the Lord's Prayer too. Lead us not into, deliver us from, all that. See how the Lord's Prayer is so important in all of this? Anything else? I've had some Nespresso this morning and that's why I'm just, <laughs> woo. <laughs> and there's a devil sitting over there that wants me to have more. Anything else? All right, let's keep going here because we want to get to a really a clincher here in Romans 3. Verse 19. We're in Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, that's the Ten Commandments, it says to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. So through the Ten Commandments, what does God do? He's telling you, you be quiet. Quit giving excuses. Quit justifying yourself. Be quiet. And you are accountable to me. And now we live in this generation with the millennials. They're all about accountability, aren't they? This is what this is talking about. It's time to be accountable for what you do, think, and say. Quit making excuses. Are you picking this up? So again, Paul uses the Ten Commandments or the law to magnify sin and push it to the hilt so that he can preach Jesus to the hilt as Savior of sinners. He's getting there, but he's not there yet. But you understand this. I'm going to repeat this. Thanks be to God that he uses the Ten Commandments to say, be quiet. And now you're accountable to me. Got it? Therefore, if you think that you can be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, you're wrong. That's the next verse. Check it out. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, that means saved, in God's sight by observing the Ten Commandments of the law. Here's the Paul, Paul's point. If you are going to try and use the Ten Commandments as an instrument to be saved, wrong. Why? Because look at the next part of the verse. The end of verse 20. Rather... Through the law, the Ten Commandments, we become conscious of our what? Our sin. Now, we, we rejoice in this. We really rejoice in this. Thanks be to God that He uses the Ten Commandments to show us our sin so that we will run to who for forgiveness? Jesus. See, if, if God doesn't do this, then you don't need who? Jesus. So I want you to think about this in another way. Um, it's on the sheet that I handed out. 
I'm not going to read this to you right now, but it's on the sheet. Jesus says in John's Gospel that one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does is convict people of their sin. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> so, one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit, not the only, I didn't say only, and if you say that, I'm coming after you. I said one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit, according to our Lord, is to convict us of our sin. So, so as Jesus says also in John's Gospel, so the Holy Spirit then will bear witness to Jesus and glorify Him as the Savior of sinners. So here's how I want you to think about this. When God, through the Ten Commandments, or when the Holy Spirit, through the Ten Commandments, shows you that you've sinned, this is a work of who? The Holy Spirit in your life. And you've never thought of that ever, have you? Never. Never thought of it that way. But now it's time to learn this from Scripture. Because I'll just speak for myself. When the Holy Spirit uses the Ten Commandments to show me my sin, to make it conscious, I want to deny it. I want to self-justify. And so, he's saying, shut up, Brent. Shut up. I'm holding you accountable for what you said, what you did, etc. And then, so, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin. And then I look to Jesus for forgiveness. This is huge. This is Christianity. Let's keep going. Any comments? So, true or false? Mike, you're saved because you keep the commandments. True or false? So it's, it's, yeah, okay. All right, true or false? We'll ask Ron. Ron, true or false? You are righteous before God because of Jesus and what he did for you. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Let me put it to you another way. True or false, Matt? The Ten Commandments are an instrument for your salvation. They're not. Jesus is. Jesus is the instrument of your salvation. Well, I said earlier, based upon Romans 3 here, that if you think you can use the commandments as an instrument for your salvation... Wrong. And by the way, folks, this is, this is why there was a Lutheran Reformation. Let me say just a little bit about this. The, what we're just reading about here is why there was a Lutheran Reformation. Because for centuries, so the Lutheran Reformation began in the 1500s. So centuries prior to the 1500s, the medieval church taught, yes, Jesus is the Savior, but not totally. The Ten Commandments are also instrumental in being for your salvation. So medieval Christians were taught, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you need to keep the commandments so that you can be saved. And that's why the faith alone was not necessary for salvation only. Faith alone didn't save you, but faith plus what you did in keeping the commandments. And that's why God raised up a guy named Martin Luther and changed everything, revolutionized the church and the world. And we are the fruit of this. So, let's keep going. Now, verse 21. So, he's magnified sin. Now, he's going to magnify Jesus. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, the Ten Commandments. So, a salvation apart from the Ten Commandments has been made known to which... Now, notice in your Bible translations, does it have law in capital L there? All right, so here's something. When you read the Scriptures... Particularly here, there are times when Paul will use this term in referencing the Ten Commandments. But now here, when he says law again, and in the translation it's capital L law, he's talking about 
the Old Testament, and in particular, the Old Testament Bible, and in particular, the five books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You got that distinction? So again, look at the verse. 21, now a righteousness from God apart from law, the Ten Commandments, has been made known to which the law, that would be the Old Testament Bible, and the prophets, that would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Jonah, just name them, testify. What's Paul's point? He's magnified sin through the commandments. In chapters 1, 2, and part of, part of chapter 3, but now here in chapter 3, he's saying now the Old Testament preaches a salvation apart from the Ten Commandments. And that's going to be who? It's going to be Christ. So when Paul says righteousness of God, a better translation would be righteousness from God. A righteousness from God has been revealed through what Moses and the prophets wrote in the Old Testament. And what is that? You're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ who died for you. As we will see in just a moment. So I'm going to repeat this again. You hear this language of righteousness of God? Think of it righteousness from God, where God the Father gives you Christ's perfection, Christ's holiness. That's righteousness. So that God the Father says, you believe in him, my son, you're saved. Any questions about that? Uh, those would be, in the New Testament, we find these people, they would be the Sadducees. Uh, the Samaritans, the Samaritans, you remember, they, they believed that only, not the prophets, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, all the, so I said who? I said the Sadducees and the Samaritans, they believed that only the first five books of the Old Testament were God's word. So when Jesus encounters these people, Jesus will, he'll play their game and he'll quote the first five books of the Old Testament to prove what they're talking about to be wrong or to lead them to repentance and faith. Yeah, so those particular people in Jesus' day believed only those first five were canonical, were God's word. But when Jesus... No, they, they, Jews today would, would be the first five books plus all the prophets. Okay. Yeah. But if you're a Sadducee and if you're a Samaritan, there's still some Samaritans alive in uh, the region of Palestine and Israel. They're very, they're very small in number, but there's still some around. Now, any questions about this distinction I've made between small L and big L? All right. So back to verse 21. A righteousness from God apart from law, Ten Commandments, has been made known, to which Moses and the prophets testify. I'm paraphrasing. Law. Mo Moses. Now, this righteousness from God, how does it come? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And if you want to be justified before God, it's by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 25, God presented him, namely Jesus. Now my translation has as a sacrifice of atonement. Did anybody else have a different translation there? Propitiation. Good. Say that word again really loudly so everybody can hear it. So read your verse out loud, Tracy, verse 25. Propitiation. Now, what is that, what's that big P word mean? Propitiation. It means 
It means that God's wrath is turned away from you, the sinner, because Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood for you. So Jesus, He endured the wrath of God as He bore the world's sin in His body. And as Jesus died on the cross, He is the only sacrifice that atones for sin. And therefore, and here's the big important point, the word propitiation. Therefore, God's anger and God's wrath is turned away from you. Instead, God's wrath and anger was all taken in by who? Jesus on the cross. So He endures the wrath of God against all sin here. And you who believe in Him, that wrath is turned away from you because He took it. Or to put it another way, the condemnation or hell that we all deserve, damnation, Jesus took here for us and for our salvation as He bore the sin of the world in His body. Your sin, mine. So that it, you who believe in Him, you don't get that. You get heaven as Jesus promises. Any questions about that? Yeah, and that's what makes John such a wonderful preacher. What a faithful preacher John was. You know, I'm glad you mentioned this, Mike, because, you know, John was tempted when people would come and ask him, are you the coming one, or should we expect somebody else? If I'm John the Baptist, I'd say, yep, I'm it. <laughs> Y'all follow me now. I'm the Savior. Because he could have a great following and make a lot of money. But he doesn't. I, he says, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not the Christ. Jesus is, as you just mentioned from John chapter 1. And so you have these paintings, and I have them sometimes on, on studies. It's the Grunewald altarpiece, Matthias Grunewald, uh, who painted a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. And you have Jesus on the cross. I'll write the guy's name on the board, and you can look it up online on your phone during the sermon today. Matthias Grunewald, and just type in crucifixion, okay? Matthias Grunewald, crucifixion, and you can find it. But he paints Jesus on the cross. And what's interesting is he, he painted this, this altarpiece in a, for a hospital, people who were dying from really bad diseases, and they suffered immensely. So he puts Jesus on the cross, and his body has a green tint to it, as if he's suffering like these people in this hospital. And his fingers, you know, the nails in his hands and his feet, when you look at it carefully, they're just contorted, which the agony, the pain, because these people in this hospital suffering would, would relate, okay? But lo and behold, below the cross, who does Grunewald paint? John the Baptist with his finger. And it isn't just normal size finger. It's a, it's a more extended finger than you'd ever imagine. And you have John the Baptist, and written in Latin is the John text, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> it's just absolutely fabulous. <laughs> How are we doing on time? Can we keep going for a few more minutes? You timekeepers out there, are we still good? I don't see anybody doing this. All right, five minutes? We'll go five. So that's verse 25. Now notice, God did this to demonstrate His justice because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Yeah, that's true. On the cross, God the Father is saying, now I am holding everyone accountable in Christ Jesus. If you thought that I didn't punish sin, boy, look at the cross. God the Father then punishes all sin and every sinner there. 
So there's two ways to look at the cross. One way is as you look at Jesus on the cross, you learn what we're learning here in Romans. You learn, when you, when you see this, or when you see the crucifix above the altar, you witness at first how seriously God takes what? Sin. This is the justice language that he mentions here. If you don't think God takes sin seriously, here it is. So Jesus, bearing the sin of the world in his body, gets damned with it. That's how serious God... And so the second thing that you see is the Savior who took that damnation for all sin and yours and mine in his body and answered for it. Propitiation, sacrifice of atonement, and his blood, his death counts for you. You're saved. You believe in him, you're saved. So it's both magnifying of sin and magnifying of the Savior of sinners. Both, both and here. That's what Paul's doing here. Does that make sense? Okay, let's continue. 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law, the Ten Commandments? No, but on that of faith. Verse 28, we maintain that a person is justified before God by what? By faith, apart from observing the law, Ten Commandments. So again, are you saved because you keep the commandments? No, they show you your sin, as we learned in Romans 3. You're saved by grace, God's grace in Christ Jesus, and through faith in Him, only. But I don't have to do anything, Pastor? That's correct. Why don't, why don't you have to do anything for your salvation, Liam? Because Jesus did it all for you. Thanks be to God. Okay. So let's, let's, let's finish with this thought based upon what we just read. Well, let's finish chapter 3. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? The answer is yes. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So you may be circumcised, you may be uncircumcised. What saves you? Faith in Jesus. That's it. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. Now, so the law doesn't save you, but that doesn't mean, okay, we don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. We still need the Ten Commandments. Why? Because daily we sin much and deserve nothing but God's punishment. So God continues to use the commandments to show us our sin, magnify our sin, so that we'll always trust in Jesus. And then, as Paul will discuss later in Romans, then as Christians we will want to keep the law not to be saved, but we will want to keep the law in service to our neighbor. Any final questions or comments? Okay, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.